Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I am your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with Glossy's editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. Hello, Jill. How's it going? Hi, Danny. Happy to be back. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, you've been uh, MIA for a couple of weeks, I think. Not MIA, but we had <laughs> Sophia filling in. I was out a couple of weeks ago, so I missed you then. So this is our first time doing an episode together in a little bit. Um, glad to be to have the band back together. Um, we... <laughs> We've got a couple of fun topics today. We're going to be talking about some executive shakeups in fashion, specifically Eileen Fisher stepping down and her replacement is stepping up, but also we'll touch on a couple other brands that have had executives leave or replaced or, or whatever in the last few weeks. Um, then we're going to look at the state of the resale industry. A couple of resale companies had earnings this week, and we'll talk about sort of what's going on in that industry, especially as in regards to inflation and all that stuff. And then finally, we will talk about outdoor voices and, and speculate on some of the reports that have come out about them possibly being up for sale, possibly looking for investment, a um, couple different things there. But let's start with Eileen Fisher and an executive shakeup. So um, I think Eileen Fisher the woman announced that she was stepping down from Eileen Fisher, the brand, uh, I think like a year ago. And, but just this week they named, um, Lisa Williams, who is the Patagonia, former Patagonia chief product officer as her replacement. Um, we'll get into like some of the other brands that have lost, um, executives recently, like ASOS and Lively and stuff. But let's start with Eileen Fisher. To me, I feel like somebody from Patagonia makes a is like, you know, a perfect fit because Eileen Fisher, the brand has been such a like stalwart, like sustain, like the flagship sustainable brand for so many years. And Patagonia, I think is up there as well in a lot of consumers' minds. Um, Jill, does that, does, does Lisa Williams seem like a good fit for you with, with Eileen Fisher's culture and sort of the reputation they've built over the years? Yeah, you're right. Um, they were looking for, they hired a recruiter last year. They were looking for the ultimate replacement. I mean, Eileen Fisher, there's nothing really wrong with what she's done as far as I see it. She is getting, <laughs> she's 70, 71. Um, so I, my father is like the same age and retiring this week. So anyway, I, it's like, let's move on. She wants to pass it on, pass the torch, somebody else to grow the business. And like you said, it's a complicated space. Um, they're both pioneers, both Patagonia and Eileen Fisher, pioneers in the sustainable apparel category. Um, Eileen Fisher in that um, they were among the first to launch a take back program and to launch um, a line dedicated to recycled clothing or upcycling. Um, and Patagonia, my goodness, everybody references that brand Anytime talking about the the brands doing it right, um, a B Corp um, really knows all that goes into uh, being a, a good brand. I mean, as from consumer facing and from the inside as well. Um, so yes, I think to really lead, put sustainability at the, the center of the brand while also growing it, very challenging. And you need somebody with, with that background. I'm not sure how long Lisa Williams was with Patagonia, but a chief product officer, definitely, I mean, definitely a leader at the company. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I don't think there was anything wrong with how Eileen Fisher, the woman, was running Eileen Fisher, the brand. But um, I did see that the that their revenue is like about a hundred million or maybe more down from what it was pre-pandemic level. So it's still good. Like it's not like they're struggling or anything I would say, but definitely like have taken some hits from the pandemic. And so I, I imagine there's a little bit of like, maybe not 
urgent, like, you know, it's not life-saving, you know, surgery or anything, but I feel like there's probably a sense of a little bit of like, let's try and get this brand back to where it was um, pre-pandemic. A, a lot of companies have, I think, either rebounded completely and are doing like even better than b what they were doing pre-pandemic, like the real, real, which we will talk about later, is doing better than pre-pandemic levels. And then some brands, I think, even if they're not like casualties of the pandemic, have just sort of reduced a little bit and have not quite been able to get it back. So I think that's sort of where Eileen Fisher is at the moment. Um, but as I mentioned, there's they're not the only brand who has had their executive step down or, or leave recently. ASOS lost its chief financial officer this week, Matt Dunn. Um, I think there was something going on there with they issued a profit warning and there's been some stuff because they're kind of like a thin profit margin company and there's inflation and rising costs there. So I, th I think it has something to do with the finances. Um, but there's also been other executives or longtime founders even who have stepped down recently. Um, Michelle Cordero Grant is another one. Um, Jill, I, I'm going to write about something about this for, for Glossy later this week. But um, in your opinion, I mean, what do you think is driving a lot of the shakeups at, at these brands and people stepping down, especially after they've been there for a, a long time? Yeah, I think it's going to be a main topic of conversation today. But, um, you know, we're seeing a decline in uh, cons consumer discretionary spend um, spending. So I think that probably depending, like investors or there's pressure to kind of keep keep growth going, keep momentum going. And um, you mentioned Eileen Fisher had seen has seen a a slip in their earnings. Um, and they're in a good space in terms of not being capital F kind of a fashion brand. It's very much um, a minimalist um, classic. We saw um, consumers investing in classics, things that won't go out of style if you're in a lockdown for a year. Um, but anyway, it's really, yeah, about what consumers are investing in now and really uncertainty about the recession. And as for leaders, um, you know, we're seeing various various issues, it really varies by brand. Um, for some, it's about, you know, taking the brand to the next level, um, whether that means while like having familiarity with the the whole process and leading a brand that's maybe gone public or um, leading a brand beyond the direct-to-consumer era. Um, and now uh, physical retail is a big part of the business and um, it's a whole different ball game. And they maybe, yeah, um, to a lot of the founders, they see, you know, it's a better thing for the company. It's a better fit um, to to pass the torch and let somebody else with more experience. You, you, as you've grown, you've proven yourself as a company, you can attract these huge executives from big companies um, that can do amazing things for a young brand. Yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. And actually, that is a good segue into our second topic, because Wanted to talk about resale and the real real had their founder and CEO um, Julie Wainwright stepped down recently too. So um, that's a big one. Um, although the, the thing I wanted to say about resale and, and we'll we'll move into the topic fully now is um, a lot of the resale companies seem to be doing pretty well this week. Um, the real real's revenue was up like forty seven percent compared to last year, like the same quarter last year, which was really. I mean, that's incredible for them. And um, ThreadUp had revenue up 20% or more than 20%, I think. Um, I feel like those brands the, or the resale companies have are in such an interesting position in regards to like inflation and 
you know, more expensive because they don't have to buy materials. Like they, it doesn't matter if fabric costs more or if the raw materials cost more because they're not making the products. They're, so they're kind of like insulated from from that in that sense. Um, but they do have like a, still have a supply constraint in that they need to, there's more competition. The Real Real is competing with Vestiaire Collective, which is trying to do more business in the US, for example. So there's definitely still pressure on the supply side. Um, and also resale is just a very operationally expensive business, like processing all this stuff and taking it in and especially shipping it. Um, you know, a lot of them are not shipping internationally necessarily. I think a lot of the Real Real's product is being sold to it from people in the U.S. and then being sold back to people in the U.S. So there's not as much international shipping, but it's just a lot of stuff. So in that sense, like the supply chain is tough for them. But yeah, like I said, they don't have to, it doesn't matter if leather costs more or if fab, if cloth costs more, whatever kind of fabric you're using, because they don't buy any of that stuff. They just buy the finished product. Right on. It, it, there is kind of, it is kind of a happy place in that what's resonating with consumers is a more affordable fashion, um, luxury in the case of the real, real, um, and it's the sustainable fashion space. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it's a complicated business. It's everything's a one-off as opposed to like a style with multiple quantities or one skew. Um, and it isn't really all like hunky-dory despite the increase in revenue across all of these businesses. Um, I know a lot of them, several of them um, lowered their projections for the year, which um, had some impact on on their stocks. And so, yeah, I think the, oh, ThreadUp also announced that there were um, there were layoffs and they were closing a, right. I think a fulfillment center. So I think that some of these companies, they kind of got, you know, ahead of their skis or whatever the, the expression is, um, almost like a Shopify and almost like StockX, yeah. where you you got excited when everything moved to e-commerce um, and everybody was shopping online and like growth, growth, crazy growth. Um, and now things are kind of settling into a new norm or to almost closer to to it what a new norm back to business as usual where there's a more even split between online and offline sales and so maybe they had done a lot of hiring maybe they had put a lot of resources behind the newer model in the last two and a half years and they're having having to retract so it's having some impact on I guess the the look of the company it's not a good look to lay off um although depending on who you ask um we had a conversation on our team about some some are laying off to to be <laughs> to potentially be seen as as um I guess safeguarding and um being responsible in these uncertain times so um yeah it's the fact of the matter is not all positive things but um they still are in a a good growing space yeah, it's sort of like they they have unique um, strengths, but they also have unique weaknesses. Like they're not hit by the same thing that the brands are, but they're also hit by other things that the brands are not. Um, one thing I saw from the Real Real that they talked about in their recent earnings is two things that they've done is in, they said selectively increased compensation, which I'm reading as paying people more for selling to them um, in in selective areas and with selective sellers. Uh, I really want to find out how much and to whom, like how that was rolled out, because um, that's one thing that I know a lot of those companies compete with each other on is like, if you've got a handbag, you could sell it to the real real, you could sell it to Fashion File, you could sell it to Best Year Collective, like you've got options now. 
And so the amount that you'll get, rebag is another one, the amount that you'll get from each of those is a big factor because ultimately, especially if you're selling, it's kind of all the same to you. Like it doesn't really, they're all kind of have similar experiences. There's there's a couple differences, like some places like rebag, like have a little bit more like tech involved and and like more robust kind of like price calculating things. But ultimately, if you're selling a handbag, you're kind of just like, which one of these is going to give me the most money? So I was really interested to see the real real say that they're looking into selectively increasing the amount that they're paying, um, which is kind of interesting because like, like I said, it doesn't matter if raw material gets more expensive because they don't buy raw material, but kind of it still is sort of like their costs are going up too, you know? And Absolutely. so that's kind of like the same thing that the brands are seeing it's just instead of paying more for the raw materials to make the goods, they're just paying more for the finished product from, you know, the customers who are selling it to them. For sure. Yeah, I, I honestly didn't know that. And it reminded me of another logistically complicated business, the Rent the Runway, um, which they just started offering where they pick up your rental from your home as opposed to making you drop it off at a drop-off location with their which they're rolling out more of or like a UPS store um and they recently as of, I think it was yesterday or the day before I'm a, a customer I'm a member so um they rolled out a, a survey that was really saying like do you know we offer this why do you why do you not use it or why you know have you used it and anyway a lot of questions about it because it's definitely a benefit to the customer who that they're trying to keep because it's another step. Like there, it, you don't just buy something, wear it, it's yours. Um, you have to really be committed to being a renter, I would say. And and the same if you're a rese- reseller. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and it, it's, I, I want to ask some of these companies what they think about this, because my thinking would be for resale with like inflation and recession, like all that stuff that we've been talking about, like you'd think that people who've got spare stuff in their closet, like might be more eager to sell and there might be more supply out there. But it kind of seems like a lot of the resale companies are doing more to kind of like sweeten the deal for sellers. And and maybe that's due to the competition thing. Like I said, you can sell to multiple different resellers and they, they're, you know, increasing compensation and stuff to lure you away from their competitors. But I also wonder if maybe there's just, they're just trying to incentivize people to sell at all. Like, I'm not really sure exactly what the sort of supply of suppliers is at the moment. Um, I know some resale people I've talked to have talked about how they kind of have two customers at any given moment. They want to like attract buyers to come buy the stuff, but they also want to attract sellers to come sell their stuff. And it's kind of this delicate balance where they want to make sure they're actively courting two kinds of customers, basically. So yeah, I don't know. I'm going to, talking about this is making me think I should ask some of these companies like about the the supply of, of consigned goods coming into them. Yeah. And part of it is making me think that some of these companies should maybe be more transparent about like what people are earning for, for a pair of jeans or a pair of a jacket, because I feel like to just like say it is worth it. It's not like chump change. <laughs> like you're going to get more than a dollar. Like I feel like those, yeah. th- those days have come and gone where you, you are, you could make a significant uh, salary of revenue on your own um, just doing this. So anyway, a lot of people don't know, I feel like still even to this day. Yeah, definitely. And it's not just the like the power sellers that like the sneaker resellers always talk about the people who have like warehouses full of sneakers that they're moving. Like I feel like there's an, an in-between where 
between like the people who are selling literally millions of dollars worth of clothes to resale companies and then someone who's occasionally like just cleaning out their closet. Like I think there's a healthy medium with people who kind of like, it's not their sole job or anything, but they are kind of buying and selling stuff pretty regularly. And that's something, again, we, we can be done with resale in a second, but I feel like a lot of the resellers tell me that when people buy from them, it also, they, they see people kind of like get into the world and start to buy and sell more frequently. And, and some of these customers kind of become, like I said, like sort of in the middle where they're, they're not making, they're not selling millions of dollars worth of clothes, but they are buying and selling more regularly, both from resellers and buying in the primary market and then reselling it because they just know that this world exists now and they're more adventurous with buying things, spending a little more knowing that they can then sell it afterwards. So anyway, super interesting topic. I know I could, t- I could talk about this all day. I know. And all of our topics today are so interlinked. Like now the the corporate, the, the C-suite or the executive shakeup and the resale, it has me now thinking about all birds and how they <laughs> hired Anne Hebert, Herbert, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> from Nike, who who's wow. was a reseller herself. So his, himself. So anyway, a lot of things happening. You're right. I totally forgot about that. Okay, we're not going to do a whole segment <laughs> on it, but just if you're listening and you're interested, highly recommend looking this up. Alberts hired a new a member of their board of directors, and it's the same woman who resigned from Nike because her son was like reselling Nikes like through her for like a separate resale business, but she joined Allbirds under a different name, which is so funny to me. And then it was like instantly confirmed it's the same woman. So the the different name did not work out. Anyway. <laughs> We're hip to you. <laughs> no, it's such, that's such a funny story. Um, but let's talk about Outdoor Voices. So there was a couple of reports about Outdoor Voices this week. First, Bloomberg reported they, they were considering putting themselves up for sale. Then separately, there was a great Business of Fashion article that dug in a little deeper, um, reported that they might put themselves up for sale. It's still early. They might just end up looking for um, investment um, from, you know, raise 40 or $50 million or something and and maybe just do that and not end up being sold. Um, But both kind of options are on the table. It seems to me by all accounts, and again, this is Business of Fashion did a great dive on this, um, that they're doing pretty well. Their revenue was $90 million last year, which is up from $40 million pre-pandemic Definitely think they were a beneficiary of the like athleisure comfort uh, pandemic kind of boom, um, which I think we sort of talked about, Jill. Maybe that would like go away. Maybe people are more interested in wearing fancy clothes, but I don't know. I mean, some of those brands are still like raking it in. So I'm not really sure. What are your thoughts on Outdoor Voices and where they're at? Yeah, I'm with you. They have a lot of things, great things going for them. Um, I mean, this loyal community, this they have a high repurchase rate um, that they reported along with those great earnings um, in, in a couple of the stories that have come out. Um, and, you know, we all saw the tennis skirt phenomenon or tennis mm-hmm. dress fandom um, that they they put on events where their whole community would come out in their, in their tennis looks. Um, I saw this happen in the Upper West Side a couple of years <laughs> back. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, you got to wonder how long. I mean, I think activewear isn't going anywhere. I do think that, again, it will see a decline in growth. Um, it is what it is. Right now, it seems to me that everything's moving to this kind of happy medium between kind of what it was to what to this athleisure activewear space. And it's all uh, baggy pants and cargos <laughs> and, and all of that kind of stuff. Anyway, mm-hmm. on another note, they've they've also seen a shakeup in their leadership from mm. 
Tyler Haney, um, to Ashley Merrill, to, oh my gosh, I know um, Mickey Drexler was involved as a board member. Oh my God, yeah, you're right. Forgot about that. Totally. So uh, anyway, it's interesting. I think that a lot of brands are selling now um, that where maybe some of their original investors are getting, you know, shying away from from investing in a consumer brand, a consumer category, or um, and they're ready to take it to the next level. Definitely a lot of brands up for sale right now. Yeah. And we, yeah, like you said, we've heard from a lot of investors that they're a little bit skittish right now in terms of like maybe a recession and stuff. And one of the things is that they don't want to invest in a brand that's going to be unprofitable for years. This is where Outdoor Voices, I think, is actually in a good position because, again, according to BOF, they are they are profitable or maybe like are neutral or something. It's a little unclear from the reporting. Basically, it's it's like they're profitable if you don't count like uh, like pre-EBITDA or whatever, which is that like earnings call kind of terminology. I think that means without like certain costs factored in like paid marketing and stuff. Um, so basically, they're either profitable or very close to profitable or maybe like waiver month to month, like just above and just below the line. Um, regardless, even being close to it is much better than a lot of companies have, especially in the sort of like DTC startup B kind of space. A lot of those companies have been unprofitable for like years and are nowhere close to being profitable. So at the very least, Outdoor Voices has that going on for them. And that I think for investors, that was definitely going to be an enticing kind of thing to see on the balance sheet. Yeah, you're so right. You, they want to see the proof in the pudding. I, I heard the same thing. If, if they're investing in the marketing, <laughs> they're not profitable. If they're investing big, you know, it, it depends on on the spend. Um, but I, Ashley Merrill, great leader. She's still involved. They've got she's still involved as a chairperson and a lead investor. Um, they've got this new CEO from Urban. Um, which seems to be stable and sticking. So <laughs> maybe they're in a better place for the next era. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I think that's all the time we have. Jill, this is always so fun to do these with you. I'm glad we're getting to do an episode together after a couple of weeks of passing each other like ships in the night. Um <laughs> But for those of you listening, if you have not given the Glossy Podcast a rating and a review, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to this, highly, highly recommend you do so because it's good for us. Um, also, if you haven't subscribed to the Glossy Podcast, you should do that because every Friday, Jill and I, or Zofia and I, or possibly maybe somebody from the Glossy Beauty team soon and I will... Uh, do the Week in Review podcast where we discuss the biggest news of the week. And every Wednesday, Jill does interviews with cool industry insiders. Jill, who's your next guest? Yeah, have a listen. It's Andy Falshaw. He is the CEO of Bellroy, which makes all things carry goods, carry your in your wallet, carry your mm. travel bag, um, honestly, and has an amazing Australian accent. So that, that'll add a little something, something to this podcast. <laughs> That's right. If you want to hear an Australian person speaking, the Glossy Podcast is the place to do it. <laughs> be there. And Jill will be doing her famous Australian accent impersonation. At no. the end of the episode. No, no, no. Is that no, no. right, Jill? <laughs> <laughs> pass. Hard pass. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Jill. And to those of you listening, thanks for tuning in. Bye.